Welcome to the Take Us to the Game podcast, a light-hearted and irreverent look at the world of sport. My name is Richard Baker, and I'm joined this week by Tom Gibbs. Evening. How you doing? Very well, thanks. No Ollie Scully this week, but fingers well, crossed the two of us can keep it going. We'll try. I can give you a split personality if you need that. Now, we normally talk about the sport that we consume in this podcast, but for once we can actually talk about a bit of sport that we played in. We saw each other in the flesh a couple of weeks ago, Tom, didn't we? Yeah, my flesh started quite a normal colour and then became very lobster by the end of it. But yeah, we were there on the pitch with cricket bat in hand. We did. We played a, an old boys game with the emphasis very much on old against a, a current crop of current crop of students. That now, that wasn't that wasn't the criteria that was most um, helpful for determining talent though age. Bless Mr. Lawrence, who is well into his seventies. He wasn't the weakest player on that pitch by a mile. <laughs> Not at all. It was quite impressive actually how how good some of the guys who were deep into a retirement still were on the cricket field. People give students a hard time for being lazy and not not very good at keeping time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, i was i was able to make it to the ground on time from london and uh, this this ground was in oxford yeah but, but typically uh, me i'd got there 45 minutes in advance videoed a couple of previews uh you know inspected the pitch walked a couple of laps of the of the grounds yeah i, I, I was all over it by that point bear in mind that this ground is approximately a 15 minute walk from where most of these students lived or live um, yet they managed to turn up <laughs> nearly an hour late. Yeah, and to be fair, their excuse was salt in the wound, I would call it, <laughs> in that 15-minute walk, but their excuse was they were waiting for a taxi for an hour. The thing that deserves advice is any student worth his salt or her salt would not be paying for a taxi for that in the first place. That is good beer token being wasted. Well, Uber was just a, an apple in Travis Kalanick's eye when when we were undergraduates so that option was never available to us but when they did turn up they came armed with with plenty of beer not that they uh, not that they shared any of it with us I think that was my only uh, my only complaint of them being on the field whilst drinking was that uh, yeah it was none for me well I could have done with a drink I was sweating quite heavily having having seen them so late in arrival we somehow managed to take the bullet and therefore decided to, to field first all 11 of us with wildly varying ages from 35 through to 70 something took the heat of the day on the hottest day of the year so far and 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 suffered for it i could have done with a beer gives you newfound respect for players in test matches who do six and a half seven hours in the field in sort of 38 39 degree heat in india or australia when you think that you know two and a half hours it it was high. It was hot, but it was high twenties. You know how, yeah, did, how uncomfortable that was. To be honest, they probably have hats and sun cream. Two yeah. things I shun. <laughs> <laughs> they also probably drink less beer during the course of the game as well. Oh, I wish. I wish. I think that would have helped. But anyway, we didn't disgrace ourselves. You played very well. Uh, I did all right, and they weren't a bad team, so it was all good fun. It was good fun, and you you put yourself down. You did very well. A, a half century. That uh, a couple of lives, but you know that's not your fault. <laughs> Make the oh, most I, of it. I, I was just baiting them. <laughs> <laughs> it was the uh, you know practicing the dill scoop after most of my misses. That's the one that get, seemed to wind them up most. <laughs> Aside from sporting adventure, what what's caught your eye in the last week or since we last spoke? Well, talking of aged cricketers, I um I enjoyed seeing today that Peter Trago, the oh, former yeah. 
former Somerset uh, stalwart, and I think he's now at Knotts, actually, still playing, 40 years old, is um, is about to embark on his professional golfing career. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so actually a professional golfing tournament featuring Peter Traeger about to kick off, and he's aiming to qualify for the Open, uh, which is not impossible. And I would love to see Peter Trago turn out as a, a multi-sports pub quiz answer. Well, I think quite a lot of cricketers play on very low handicaps, and some of them are scratch golfers. Yeah, a lot of sports people generally, I suppose. Yeah, I think, well, it sort of lends itself, right? If you've got the hand-eye to to hit long distances as cricketers do and the ability to uh, have long periods of time with nothing else to do other than well, I was going to say, is it hand-eye coordination or is it the ability to get tea times at any time of the week? Yeah, could be that. But yeah, no, all, all power to his elbow. He's a fantastic cricketer and I, I look forward to seeing how he gets on. Well, one cricketer who's not going to be taking up golf anytime soon, or at least not professional golf, I assume, is is Virat Kohli, who had a disappointing week, I would say. Yeah, he continues to not win anything as a captain of an this Indian was... uh, team. Uh, is that harsh? No, it's fair. It's fair. I'm referring to the World Test Championship, of course, that took place in Southampton this week, concluded yesterday. A six-day test as opposed to well, the standard was... five. Four-day test, we'll call it. Well, they needed every last minute of it to yeah. to, to get to get the results in because the weather suddenly turned after that uh, kind of beautiful week that we had when we were talking about roasting in in the field. Then and then all the heavens opened for a few days. And... Yeah, they should have been playing it in Scotland. I tell you, it was actually quite nice up here. But you're, you're right, and it was a fantastic game of cricket, um, which at the same time felt like a very weird event. I don't I don't know how you rated it as an event in itself. It was strange. It was a combination of the fact that crowds were limited still. Mm. You'd have thought that India playing in a final would attract a full house wherever it is in the world. But they were limited to, I think, a crowd of 4,000. And the Kiwis, New Zealand, are are well supported, but their fans tend to be a limited number. So that sort of made it a bit strange. And then there was a sort of very stop-start nature of it. The mm. fact that they were two days lost to rain and when they did play, it was on again, off again. But but I did think it was a very good finale, and it, it did feel like an event on that final day. I, I I agree in that I think it was it worked as an event to crown a champion. I get that. I just don't know whether I I don't know whether I like the idea of a final at all. I don't know if I've got sympathy for Virat's comments after the game, where he said it should be a multi-test series to decide the champion of the you know World Test cricket. I don't know how you, you feel about that, but for me, I can't I can't. I, can't come to terms with that either. Maybe I'm just not at ease with the whole concept. Often when I lose something, I suggest best out of three. So I can see where Virat's <laughs> coming from there. Yeah, I, I also got to say, we absolutely agree with Virat. Lest we rain fire on ourselves from the thousands, millions of passionate yes. Indian cricket supporters. Of absolutely, course, yes. Virat's right. And, you know, we, we should have it. And it's never been played in England. In fact, I did see one glorious comment that suggested no cricket should ever be played in England. <laughs> enough until we can invent a roof yeah. or a, an ability to to disperse clouds i'm not sure it is a tournament or a final that the cricket world needed and i can see why they did it there was this idea that you know test cricket is losing its luster we need some way of formalizing it let's make a kind of a league structure and play a final at the end of it i think that test cricket is a little bit more like kind of heavyweight boxing in that you have your ladder and then you have the number one team and they're the, the mm. champion of the world. And then everyone else takes their turn to try and knock them off. And if you knock off the best team, 
then that makes you the best team in the world for a while until somebody knocks you off. So I always, I always thought it, it works that way and you don't necessarily have to have a final. As, as boxing calls it, the lineal champion, as it were, you know, the, that, that who has earned the right through their wins previous rather than any particular event in itself. I get that. There's the other way of looking. I'm, you know, I like a, a gaming and the game that I like to play, or generally, play, you know, they're open world. You can you can take it a little myriad of parts, but there's no way of winning it per se, but you can do well. And cricket, test cricket in particular, is one of those rarities in sport. There doesn't have to be that closing event or that set path. I suppose you're right in boxing as well. Isn't it? Yeah, I, I think you're, 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 at a, you're at my concern there. That what, what is this mace that the ICC uh, dish out? What does that mean? Well, I think they had to invent a cool trophy for it. So they came up with this mace, which looks a bit like Thor's hammer. Yeah, well, you can't even drink out of it. Yeah, which is the sign of any good sports trophy. I don't know how else you could do it. You could have, in this day and age, rather than have it best of three, you could have it, well, you could have it best of three with the number one team playing the first and third game at home and the number two team playing the second game at home. I think international travel would allow for that now because you could have the games a week apart. So India and New Zealand could have done that. Um, maybe didn't quite work doing it in a neutral country didn't really sort of grab the attention over here I mean cricket fans like us knew what was going on but I don't think any I don't think the lay person was aware there was a world no. trophy final taking place so yeah food for thought I think good experiment I'm not sure it's entirely needed let's see what uh, how they how they do it next well I was gonna say none of that though should um, demote the achievement of the New Zealand cricket team. I think they were the deserving winners. I thought they played fantastic cricket in the match itself and, frankly, in all of the matches preceding up to the, the match. They are deserving winners, and I offer them wholehearted congratulations. I absolutely agree with that. And I think that the strange thing about Test cricket is that in this country, in England at least, there is this myopic fascination with the Ashes mm. to above all else, such that as we were playing New Zealand, now the World Test Champions in a series just gone, most of, well, not most of the commentary, that's unfair, but quite a lot of commentary was focused around, well, how does this help us prepare for the Ashes? And think, hang on a minute, we're playing the best team in the world right now. We're going to play Mm. India later in the summer. And people are talking about, well, what sort of pitches should we prepare in order to prepare ourselves for the Ashes? In what other sport would you prepare for playing the third best team in the world uh, by using the team against playing the sort of the, one of the best teams in the world as a warm-up. I'll tell you, Rich, it's a sport without an ending, without <laughs> with this open-world gaming. That's the problem. Maybe I've uh, maybe we've defeated our own or my own particular argument there. Maybe we have. Maybe we have. Probably more important news this week. Interesting story coming out of the US. Don't know how closely you followed this one. Carl Nassib, defensive yeah. end for the for the uh, I'm about to say the um, Oakland Raiders, but of course the Las Vegas Raiders now. I have been following it. You're right. And, you know, I like my American football. Um, you could absolutely say not a story shouldn't be taken as a story. We look forward to the day where it's not a story. And Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, was very much of that line. I understand. But I think there is something here. And the, the, the reason why there is something here is because American sport and in particular American football has been so dramatically homophobic notably homophobic compared to other sports for so long so it is long overdue it is um important and will change a lot of experiences for a lot of um, gay people in america and possibly across the world and there are a number of reasons for that if you'll indulge me slightly yeah please go on well firstly he is not 
someone who's going to be it can be t- tossed aside by the Oakland Raiders. Sorry, Las Vegas Raiders. There you go. Doing the same. In the you know the, when when American footballers in the past have come out as gay or as bisexual has happened on a couple a handful of occasions in the past. They haven't been fully embedded into teams. They've been pre-draft or they've been just before full season or they've been. This was Michael Sam who was drafted by the Rams a few years back and he came out before the draft, I think. And he, he went to preseason, but he never made the final squad. Exactly. Whereas Nasib is on a three-year contract. You know, he's very unlikely. He's too expensive, frankly, very unlikely to be cut. He's going to be an active member of that roster for a couple of seasons more. So he's going to be on the pitch. And that is an important uh, distinction. One thing that I found interesting was the response of some um, former pros who quite clearly indicated that there'd been quite a few gay players over the years, not out, out, but within the game, it was well known that they were. And they made reference to the fact that I'm glad this is the first time somebody can be open about it or be openly gay and playing. Not that he's the first gay player, but that he's the first openly gay player, which is sort of interesting. Well, absolutely. And this leads me to my next point, I think needs to be made is, as I say, I think the NFL is problematic on this right role and if you want an example in december every year they play a game where every athlete is allowed to personalize their their boots their cleats as they call them in america for a charitable cause my cause my cleats they call it last year uh and the year before several players openly had sponsorship from an organization called the fellowship of christian athletes which has as one of its standing tenets homophobic principles um, you know, Case Keenum being a, a, a notable example of, of, of well-known proportions. Um, you know, that was six examples, in, uh, six athletes in um, 2019, three again in 2020. So I want to see how this changes that kind of attitude. Let's call it that. Come future examples of this. You know, the, the NFL is very demonstrative in how it treats values in a lot of cases. But I think it does need to understand that actually at the moment there's some harsh contradictions. Yeah, I think they've been on a journey in a number of ways. I think in some areas they've done better than others. I think there's been a clampdown on domestic violence in the last few years, which was an area which they had a very poor record on previously. Um, I think that they're still coming to terms with um, Black Lives Matter and the Kaepernick protests. And so I think that still sort of hangs over them. So I think they've been very quick to... To, to move on this one. And I think they they made all the right noises so far, as you alluded to Roger Goodell's statement. Well, I mean, you know, we'll see where it goes. And I, I, I think you're right to talk about, you know, clearly the problem isn't purely American. Uh, a lot of the issues generally come across from people, frankly, getting the wrong end of the stick with people's statements on others. And I think that's been made quite clear about the Black Lives Matter and taking the knee within football as well. You know, it's not political. Yeah, Don't make it political. But you know, it's not the only American sport at the moment struggling with values. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I mean, the, the, if if American football is feeling self-conscious, it can only look across at baseball and think, "Thank goodness, thank goodness, that's not us." <laughs> I don't know. Have you been looking at that one? Baseball has been quite intriguing this season in terms of um, the spin rate of pitches. I don't know if you followed the story closely, but essentially, when you throw a baseball or a cricket ball or any other kind of ball. The, the easier it is to grip it, the more spin you can impart as you throw it. And the more you can spin it as you throw it, the more the ball will move in the air, which makes it harder to hit. So anybody whose job it is to throw a baseball very, very hard has an incentive to try and 
make that happen. And this wasn't going on for for de- as long as the sport's been going on. You know, people have been using resin. Resin's allowed. You know, sun cream, you know, sweat, snot. You know, there's this stories of pitchers deliberately sort of waving Tabasco under their noses just to get them get it running so they can put loads of bogeys on the ball. But in the last few years, uh, people have been using artificial substances more and more. I think it's been called. I think it's even called like a sticky, sticky lat or sticky splat. They've been putting on. And the the interesting thing is that you know, 10, 20 years ago, this might not have even been noticed, but now they just track everything in terms of the data. You know, how fast the ball's going, but also how many it's spinning. And it's so obvious when certain pitchers have started using this these substances because their spin rates just go through the roof. I don't know. What did you make of it? Well, I, I think there's a number of interesting things. Here. It, it, it strikes me as a case of any sport which has long-standing traditions and traditions that are part of its ethos almost like cricket seems similarly afflicted with such things when anyone tries to change it or trying to find the advantage like you would in a sport it becomes you know an emotional matter um you compare it to say you know someone using an aerodynamic swimming suit it doesn't seem to generate the same sort of feeling is that fair yeah i think so i think the interesting thing is in both cricket and baseball is that there's this idea that a certain amount of doctoring the ball is okay. So in mm. cricket, obviously not in the last 18 months with the pandemic, but prior to that, you could put as much spit on the ball as you possibly could. And then you would rub it, you know, to get one side shiny, the other side rough. But then as soon as sort of an external substance came in, whether it was dirt or, you know, bottle tops or even sandpaper you know that that was beyond the line that like any sort of additional substance who would do such a thing Rich? <laughs> <laughs> not us by the way let's be clear we're talking about i'm talking about australians yes yes <laughs> we were not doctoring the ball to play a load of students who were a bit drunk no <laughs> <laughs> no there were plenty of bottle tops lying on the pitch you know if only we thought of it um, could have been like Wazim and Wakar back the in the day. was doing plenty without our uh, external <laughs> foreign substance. No, I mean, that's okay. fair. There's an anti-Pakistan cricket joke to get all the Virat lovers back on side. But you're right. But I mean, if you even look back in the history of baseball, I noticed one of the favourite tricks used to be in days of yore was that the ball that was about to be tossed to the pitcher for the next pitch, you'd nick it on your shin guard. <laughs> You literally throw it against your or clip it on your shin guard to get a nick right into it and then toss it to the pitcher, knowing full well that you'd be able to work wonders with that. <laughs> As you say, there is a there is a line here and is it is the completely fabricated substance that is essentially designed to do, you know, marvels to spin. Well, there was a pitcher called Trevor Bauer who won the Cy Young Award last year, which is the, the award given to the best pitcher. Is he but the Rays pitcher? No, he's with the Dodgers. Oh, okay. But for years before, he'd always railed on social media about other pitchers who were who were doing this, who were doctoring the balls. And then he got to the point where he's like, right, I'm just going to join them. You know, if, if nobody's getting called out for this, then I'm just going to do it myself. And overnight, his spin rates went through the roof and he had this fantastic season. <laughs> so... He's sort of living proof that if you can't beat them, join them. Well, I was going to say, but the the, the difficult thing is now that MLB, the, the authority, have no, we're going to say, oh, you can't do it from next year. But now they've said, essentially, you've got to stop right now because this has got ridiculous. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw this, but they're, 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 some of the pitchers are pulling out of injuries because they can't grip it well enough because they haven't got the sticky <laughs> stuff. And they're hurting their hand. They're waking up in the morning after pitching, what, 70, 80 <laughs> balls you know nothing in cricketing terms and they got oh my poor hand i haven't been able to grip this ball enough 
some, of, some of them have said that they need the sticky stuff because it becomes dangerous for the batters. Yeah. <laughs> they can't control it anymore. Yeah, I just so keep throwing at this guy's head. <laughs> I know. Well, there you go. Anyway, it, it's it's on course to be quite a nasty and protracted case. And probably, I think, we'll, we'll end up in baseball having a shutout or, you know, ceasing yeah. to, to play. Indeed. It looks like it might end up that way. Um, which will be a shame because, you know, what better way is there to enjoy a hot dog? <laughs> yeah, no chance of uh, football having a shutout anytime soon, I would imagine. I hope not. Because we are oh, we are midway through the Euros as we record this. We've just concluded the, the group stages. I mean, going back to the, the point we were making about the NFL and Carl Nassib, it was an interesting point that UEFA refused to allow for the Allianz Arena in Munich to be lit up with the rainbow colours prior to the visit of the Hungarians. Yeah, presumably because they're confusing it with political action again. Which which it was, in a sense. It was it was a statement being made to some fairly regressive policy making in the Hungarian parliament recently. Yes. Okay, which, maybe in that sense. But in a sense, not doing it is political, right? Yeah, I I I, I almost don't want to talk about it because it's it's one of those things you can you can argue around the boy. I know I, in my heart of hearts how it should be. UEFA uh, will be very difficult on almost every subject you give them. And so I'm not willing to engage with UEFA. Let's put it that way, because I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there'll be two and a half thousand of them coming to London in a, in a few weeks' time. UEFA but, officials. Yeah, but you know it's fine. They don't have COVID. Good. They don't have to quarantine because they have special UEFA genes. What's that? Sorry. Lizard people, are they? Lizard people. <laughs> the UEFA lizard people descending from... That's not an official theory apps. of mine. No, unofficial though. What stood out for you so far? Have you have you caught much of it? Um, I, think it's, I think it's been a good tournament so far. I think a lot of the games have displayed characteristics of tournament football. KG, perhaps not the most free-flowing... But there's been sufficient, you know, moments of majesty to make me really hopeful for the second half. And I suppose the big question is, would the multi-venue, multi-city format, multinational format work? And it hasn't bothered me. Let's put it away, which I think is probably a thumbs up. Yeah, I don't know. It has bothered me. Has it? It has bothered me. I don't like the fact that it's been all over the place because it's been really odd that you go to one venue and it's virtually full i'm budapest i think has been full capacity and then you you know go to some other places and it's like hardly anyone there and i know that's partly you know pandemic partly because it's whales are playing in baku and no one cares but that's it sort of lacked a bit of narrative for me you know often when you when a tournament say in in france or germany or i don't know spain or something you and you go to the different cities, you have a different feel for the cities and you recognise the grounds because you think, OK, well, that's the Bernabeu and that's that's uh, the new Camp. And now we're down south because we're in Sevilla's ground. And you sort of get the feel for the country. The fact that it's all over the continent just lacks narrative for me. Are you, are you suggesting you're missing the the montage intro of a city? In the, Absolutely. Yeah. The glossy production of, you know, fountains near Sevilla. I'm missing the fact that when I stare at Gary Lineker's beautiful face on TV, in the background, I'm not seeing a, a sort of a, a grand facade of a, of a neoclassical European palace. Instead, when I look at the ITV coverage, yeah, they're in London. That's yeah. Rubbish. Well, I uh, know. I suppose I, 
I get that, and, and I think that's fair. I, th- I think, actually, the bit you haven't mentioned that possibly is more worrying for me is that some teams are getting a distinct advantage, and, dare I say, England are amongst that. Yeah, perhaps, but so are the Spanish, the Germans, the Italians. You know, they've all they won't get one in games. The, Germans aren't going to get an advantage in the last 16, though. But you could say, well, maybe they should have won all their games, but by the by. Um, yeah, there will be teams that continue to get that advantage Yes, I think if England were to get past Germany, then they would have to go to Rome for the quarterfinal. And then their fans could sing, don't take me home for half an hour. And it would actually make sense. Yeah. Than... <laughs> well, you don't know where these fans are coming from. You have to look at their flags. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's from Nantwich. You can sing, don't take me home. Nobody <laughs> wants to go to Nantwich. Wants to stay in London for another week. I don't yeah. think so. But we did have a lot of Scots fans down last week. That was fun. Yeah. Can you keep them? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. This is harsh. I saw the, the tremendous publicity they, they raised for themselves by, um, by having one photo of one bloke picking up a bit of litter. Did you see that in all the papers? <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> did I, I don't want... he clear the entire street? Well, it wasn't clear or not whether it was his job. <laughs> he just, <laughs> no. just, had, just hadn't been to bed. <laughs> Turned I don't up in know. Morning. Oh, bless the press. They love a... They love a they love a good news story, but I wasn't convinced. But I well, I felt sorry for the Tarn Army in a sense because you you wait twenty three years to go to a tournament. This comes back to your point about it being all over the place, and two of your games are at home anyway. So going to a tournament is all about the travel, is all about going to a different place and singing your silly songs and all the rest. But London was the only place they could go to, so they made a weekend off it. I don't grudge them that, of course I don't, yeah. and I had a fantastic time. Um, what I do, you know, and this is not sad, great, so I do slightly grudge some of the coverage that was glowing for the Scottish team that scored one goal in the tournament and frankly didn't look very good. No, that was that was the odd thing, wasn't it? That listening to Graham Souness for half an hour after the nil-nil, you'd have thought that you'd just seen the 1970s Brazil. Well, I get to watch it on STV up here, of course, uh, where I am, and yeah, it was difficult at times, just saying, yeah, but. You could have scored some goals. Well, we had ITV on down here and just, you think, you know, England, Scotland, so much history, so much rivalry. Let's let's invite Roy Keane to a pine on <laughs> 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 what he's just witnessed. Mm. So, uh, yeah, Roy Keane just sat there like a like a child who's at a birthday party for somebody they don't much care for. <laughs> <laughs> well, my version was Stuart McCall, who now has a, a, an accent that's firmly anchored in Bradford. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I have enjoyed is the, um, I don't know if ITV do it, but BBC have been allowing you on the red button to do the uh, the behind the pitch view. Sorry, behind the pitch, behind the goal view. So you get the, it's called the, um, I don't know what it's called, tactical cam. I don't know, I haven't checked it out. Tactical cam, yeah. So it's, it's high behind the goal and you can see the whole pitch the whole time. It's a bit like sensible soccer. For those who remember <laughs> sensible soccer. Nice. But uh, yeah, you can really feel like you're a, you're a you know, tactical tactical nous is, is increasing because you're watching this view have you um have you borrowed your lovely daughter's crayons to start drawing on the pitch at the same time sort of <laughs> giving you analysis as you go yeah i've been tempted i've been tempted i actually haven't watched an awful lot of it yet um mostly because well the tournament in general the tournament in general mostly because uh my friend keeps making me record youtube videos about the hundred during a <laughs> during the games well I, I i've checked them out richard they are fantastic the 100 <laughs> club is going to be quite the thing when it takes off but i think that's partly because uh i i always thought that the group stage 
was a bit bloated and that most of the big teams would get through. In fact, all the big teams have got through. So I'm, I, I said that, like they say about superheroes, with great power comes great responsibility. But in middle age, with no responsibility, sorry, with no power comes lots of responsibility. So you're talking the, to the wrong man here. Yeah, I'm talking to the wrong person, Valis. <laughs> but I thought I would keep my powder dry for the knockout. So we've got you know what, eight games from Saturday to Tuesday, and I'll try and catch all of those because I think they all look like decent games. And then obviously from quarterfinals onwards, I think it'd be great. So the big question is, who is going to be the shock? If we hadn't have a you know a, a group stage shock, and it's very difficult, Hungary almost managed it. Where are the shocks happening when we get into the pure knockout? I don't know. Would England beating Germany be a shock? No. Well, I think well there's, there's Germany, the football team, which is you know a fairly mediocre team mm. who struggled to get past Hungary. Then there's Germany, the football team that lives in the head of <laughs> English football fans. Yeah. Rent rent free most of the time. Um, <laughs> so do, yeah. So he occupies the, the 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 minds of aged footballers. Yeah. But I, so I suppose in '96 it was a draw. It went to penalties, and then we we beat them in Euro 2000. So I mean that was the last time we met in the competition. So the form no, I, is with us. Yeah. Uh, if you if you hadn't seen the Portugal game, you would have no fear at all about this Germany Germany uh, team side. I think maybe the Croats are going to grow into the tournament a bit. I'd like to see them yeah. beat the Spanish in the next round. Yeah, be interesting. I think the Austrians have been good. No, they haven't. Are they no. not? No. <laughs> they are exactly the same Austria who turn up to every tournament, in that they are the team that I can't remember if they were in the tournament. Same with the Swiss. i tell you who, well, I did enjoy, because I saw a bit of it the other day, was, and I don't know the chap's name, but he is a, the Spanish ref who likes to be in the center of things who basically makes mike dean look like a shrinking wallflower gosh and he decided he was a bit bored refereeing france v portugal and he wanted to see a goal so he decided to give a penalty from it was a definite penalty the loris one yeah he smacked him in the head with his fist then his elbow i i think it was a penalty but i was just surprised because you so rarely see them given like normally yeah. goalies can just commit gbh and uh yeah. And it's this, fine. this one tried ABH, didn't get away with it. But then he decided to level it up, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, that was a horrible penalty. The second one. Sorry, I mean you don't. You, you, you okay? Yeah, it wasn't a penalty. The, the, the France penalty. But I'm maybe I'm just being slightly bitter. Uh, I don't know why though, because it's it's protected us from having to play um, France in the second round. So there you go. Excellent. And on that note, let's see how we go on, and we'll chat next week. Tom, thanks, Rich. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye now.